0: General Vagon has called
1: the Battle of France is over. The Battle of Britain is about to begin. Welcome to the Lead Pursuit Podcast, a podcast covering blood-red skies, a game of World War II aerial combat. Welcome to Episode 12 of the Lead Pursuit Podcast. Tonight's episode is a little bit different not so formatted. We kind of ramble on, but that's okay. We'll be talking about tactics, we'll be talking about gameplay, we'll be talking about how you set up and how you hopefully win your games of Blood Red Skies. With that, I'll turn it over to the team, to Brett and to Mitch. Yes, we brought him back from the No Dice, No Glory podcast, so that we can all talk tactics tonight. For bombers, are bombers, parentheses, multi-engine aircraft susceptible to tailing? At this point, it says, under the special rules, state they are unaffected by tailing. However, this only applies to bombers until they've dropped their bombs. Then they act as multi-engine aircraft and ignore the special rules. Multi-engine aircraft can be tailed as a general rule, but when acting as laden bombers in the bomber escort scenario, they can't. Does that make sense? So we've played it both ways. And, uh, you know, I I guess my opinion as the bomber pilot in all of the scenarios may not be, may not be worth it. Um, But we played it in one scenario where you could tail a bomber automatically where you didn't have to knock him down with hits. Uh, And that felt really unfair because you have zero maneuverability as one of these four engine bombers anyway. So if Mm -hmm. a guy is directly behind you, you can't dodge, so um, because that's an interesting point. When you look at it, and you go, okay, if if you're a uh, if you're a multi-engine aircraft, when can you when can you dodge shots? And there's still some kind of disagreement uh, about that because theoretically, regardless of whether you're a bomber or not, if you have zero maneuverability, you have zero dice for maneuver mm-hmm. um, <laughs> in a in a dodge um, from direct ahead or direct to stern side obviously you're able to use your speed and and use that as your your dice Um, but you know it's kind of I I think when you look at a laden aircraft and you say okay am I going to he's not going to be able to do anything anyway can I just immediately tail him and disadvantage him I think that's a pretty heavy penalty I don't know
0: well I don't know I I play it differently with the, you know, the BFs, the Mosquitoes, the more agile ones. But, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys have used four-engine bombers.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we used our B-29 cards that we, uh, that we came up with for our MiG Alley uh, scenarios.
0: Now, while I was never in the Luftwaffe, I know that a rear attack was not the preferred attack <laughs> on, on the B-17s or B-24s. Exactly. Because you're looking at tail gunner and ball gunner. Making your day pretty bad. You know, the one too is you're not, you're not, you're moving with the aircraft. Absolutely. So you're a target the entire time. So when I've done demo games with, you know, the bomber must get through. Uh, you know, I'm like, as soon as you're hit, you go to disadvantaged on the bomber if you're tailing it. Right. And a lot of it was, you know, I made the audible, but doctrinally, they used to use slash attacks, diving attacks head-on attacks till they threw all the machine guns up front but tailing was not something that even the japanese who had not as robust air doctrine as the germans didn't tail b-29s when they were able to find them
1: right and and i don't think there is a sufficiently damaging way to kill a fighter immediately uh for for rolling in right on your six and and you know, Brett, pitch in on this because your MIGs were back there shooting at my B-29s a lot. Even with four total firepower dice and the ability to get a critical, that still only took you from advantaged to neutral.
2: It took a long time to get those B-29s to slow down and lose some firepower.
1: Yeah. And so, so, but I'm saying even when you were back there and I'm shooting at you, I'm not able to take a fighter out. I'm able to rack up some boom chits. But... I'm not able to get rid of that guy. That's, uh, that's sitting at my six o'clock pounding away. So it didn't, it didn't feel so much like I could, um, I could cause him to, to get shot down, which was kind of a weird, uh, loop. Cause the, the reason it worked out for us was because we're flying jets versus four engine bombers. Mm-hmm. He could, you know, Brett could never slow down enough to just hang out behind me. Um, and, So as a result, he always had to kind of fly past, turn back around, do a head-on shot, fly past, turn back around, do a tail-on shot. Um, But other than occasionally racking up boom chits on the the fighter, I wasn't shooting it down because it wasn't in a point where it was already disadvantaged and then taking another follow-on hit.
2: Once you started taking boom chits on that aircraft, you lost firepower, so that diminished your... Your, right, so that's the know. other
1: thing you have to remember is every time you take a boom shit, you're losing a firepower die in in mm-hmm. each of your in your arcs. So your
2: interlocking fire card made a difference. So that was pretty devastating.
1: Well, and and you know the funny thing is you roll out there and you read the uh, the errata and interlocking fire is now a discard, not a remove. And I'm like, oh, that would have been nice because I would have played that every turn. Um, mm-hmm. and, Even harder. Yeah, exactly. But once again, so so let's still go back to that. I I have to. Basically, mass the firepower of all the bombers, all two that we had at that point, all the bombers on one fighter to have a chance of even shooting him down. That doesn't quite feel feel realistic because he's kind of camped at my six o'clock. Um, because if you think about it, so he's advantaged. Bomber number one shoots at him uh, and is able to knock him to neutral. And then bomber number two shoots at him, knocking him to disadvantaged. And the only luck we have there is because there's other jets to keep him from regaining advantage. At some point he flies out in front of the bombers and they take their standard shot at him. Um,
0: Well, you know, we know Andy Chambers listens to the show. (laughs) Um, And and that's something it was easy for me to call an audible on the four engine bombers because I feel that it's missing from the rules. Right. And it's like almost we're shoehorning the rules into, you know, uh, because I think, That's a fun mission when you put those big four engine babies on the table and, you know, you're just taking fighter passes at it. I would play the tailing different. I would say that, look, you know, if you get hit in the tailing position of a bomber, you should you get a boom. You should immediately go disadvantage, even if you
1: dodge. it. Yeah. And so and so we did that. And we and obviously, like I said, you know, we we played you couldn't dodge, you know, four and a half shots because you don't get you never get to add your pilot skill. Uh, as that uh, as that multi-engine airplane. But, um, but, you know, Brett will tell you that even with two bombers, uh, six MiGs, uh, we got all the way to turn six before he got a bomber even close to shot down.
0: Which um, is, if, you know, you know, it's that story that I was reading about how badly the B-29 suffered against the MiGs. So maybe look at a... Homebrew rule that that fits it better.
1: Well, and, and there's one of the scenarios that I've written up, uh, kind of takes some leeway away from the bomber player. Uh, in that, as soon as the bomber loses an engine, it has to break formation because, once again, the way the Korea missions were flown was very different than World War II, mm-hmm. um, and that. At a certain point when, and I don't want to say it was a low-risk mentality, but there had already been so many bomber casualties that it was, if you're that badly hit, you're not going to the target area. Um, Because in the target area, you have flak and fighters trying to kill you. (laughs) So so, uh, the way we were opting to play it was that the victory conditions really is what drove um, your success rather than having to kill all the bombers, which is the way the victory conditions are currently in that bomber scenario so what we said is if if bombers don't exit
2: half or more right yeah
1: well uh so no so um for the let me let me make sure i read this one right so let me flip back to the bomber escort scenario um so victory half or more of the bombers exit the opposite table edge is how it was written which then it changes because they changed that to be a six turn game so it's no longer exiting the the other table edge um at that point, then the uh, the let me read it right here. The special rules: it basically, if half or more of the bombers survive with bombs still on board by turn six, or right, right, at the right, end of right.
2: turn six. Okay, so I remember, I just we had two bombers. I just had to shoot down one before we got to six. That's what I remember. Yeah, but
1: but to me, it's a it's a real important distinction because um, if you if you force the bombers to break off, you don't end up in the situation where you're continually throwing fighters at a bomber who may do like I was doing, hit a cloud and suddenly climb up and now he's back to neutral. Um, so it, 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 you know, I think there's there's a point to be said in there that if you can at least reward the fighter player for getting a bomber to lose an engine, it peeling off, at least in a Korea scenario, uh, and then you you kind of start trying to strip the other ones down. And the real victory is, can you get anything off the far end? Not necessarily half, but do you get anything to the target area? All
2: right, <laughs> but, right. But like,
1: but like you said, Mitch, you know, it's, I think people are sometimes afraid to house rule those kind of things, which, quite frankly, ought to be house ruled.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have such an active community and I love playing with the big. I have a Lank and a B-17 and I want to get a B-29, especially for Korea. You know, house rules work work great. Um, Andy Chambers and the guys from Warlord are not going to come to your house and take your toys away.
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, maybe they would. John Russell. <laughs> John, 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 Russell. John, John will, will show up and take our cool painted bombers.
2: That'd
0: be kind of neat if he did that.
2: Well, I wonder if there's some uh, some uh, relevance to like a critical dodge mechanic uh, to, for the bombers. Uh, yeah, where they have to the, it, they have to have a critical dodge. You know, two successes on a roll, or so. I, you know, I don't remember what the dice, how many dice you'd be rolling, but uh, if. Uh, you know, we're talking about how would you how would you change it to make it uh you make them go down faster in lieu of like an automatic t- you know instead of doing an automatic tailing or changing tailing mechanics for laden bombers change the change the dodge well they don't dodge anyway right it's, they don't they right. don't do a dodge well yeah, they,
1: they can't they can dodge if it's a deflection shot so that's that was kind of the thing to remember is that they at least get their speed they don't get pilot skill, but they can, they can dodge with speed. What was, uh, what was the
2: mechanic that was negating heavy hitter? Was it the uh, deflection shot mechanic that was uh, making heavy hitter not relevant? I remember thinking that when uh, we were playing, like I had, I had heavy hitter, but it didn't matter on a bunch of shots on the, uh, on the bombers. I don't remember how.
1: I'm trying to remember as well, because it was, uh, it had to do with critical hits. But I, I don't remember if there was anything. Sp- There's nothing specific in there that would that would take away your ability to uh, to get critical hits.
0: Right, because with a critical hit you need to
1: – Oh no, I know what it was. It, it it was because we were shooting fore and aft. Because it it didn't matter if you got a critical hit. You know who cares? You're not taking away any dodge dice because I already have zero. Oh, that's dodge right. That's dice. right. Yeah, zero <laughs>
2: dodge <laughs> dice. That's right. That's right. So yeah, basically made that be ineffectual it'd be neat if you could have you know because I'm thinking back remember we watched that RAF video it was a training video on how they how to attack (laughs) B-29 yeah still don't understand the rationale behind that but yeah they were it was a really cool video it was actually like a declassified RAF training video where they had actual footage of uh, meteors flying against uh formations of B-29s with really pretty uh detailed uh you know, instructions and stuff on what they were trying to accomplish. And basically it was head on passes at high speed and basically stay away from the tail, you know? Yeah. And, uh, that was the ideal, the ideal pass was a high speed head on pass from, um, a slightly higher altitude flying above the, uh, bomber stream. And, uh, then singling out, I guess, disabled, uh, bombers. And, uh, it was pretty neat. And when we played it, that really wasn't possible because there was no advantage for a head-on. And uh, I ended up being behind the aircraft all the time because I'd have to turn back and, you know, turn around because the jets are so fast.
0: How fast was the B-29 speed? I I never saw a card on it.
1: Uh, Move seven. And then, so it became moves. I think I've got it right here. Uh, Either move seven or move eight, then followed by, you know, losing one for, for being a bomber. So let me look at my card. I should, know, I should know it by heart. I only played it like for an entire two and a half days. Uh, so it was uh, Maneuver Zero, Speed 7, 354 mm. miles an hour.
0: And how many? Um,
1: so it's Firepower was, uh, so it was basically a 360 with Firepower 2 and a rear of plus 2. So you had negative, you know, zero base Firepower, 360 in rear plus two. So, so four in the rear is not insignificant um, because that, that once again does give you a chance to get a critical hit, making something hard for that uh, fighter to dodge. But even if he doesn't dodge, all he does is go down an advantage level. He doesn't become a smoking hole because he, because he isn't shooting you as disadvantaged, you know, I guess is where it comes down to.
2: Well, that, and that firepower goes away quick once they start taking boom chits. It's yeah, not exactly. So all, anymore. all
1: of a sudden when I've taken two, two boom chits, I have just basically two firepower.
2: <laughs> I'll tell you, so. I, I,
0: I think uh, playing around with the rules and playtesting may, uh, may be yeah. a good I, idea. I think,
1: think there, and you know, it's it's kind of something I think I've seen looking through most of the posts in the ready room is that, there's a lot of people playing fighters and there's a few people playing twin engine bombers, but other than people buying and painting them, I have not seen, I think I've only seen one game with B-17s out there. So I'd be really curious to kind of get the pulse of the community, uh, on, uh, on what they feel their experiences with, you know, heavy bombers, medium and heavy bombers out there. Um, so out there, anyone who's actually played these a bunch of times, uh, let us know what you think, because I think there's probably, uh, some tweaks that, that could be made, you know, once again, like we said, to, to make things a little deadlier in the rear arc uh, and to force the the fighters to do more slashing attacks and, and things that might uh, might match up more with what what actually happened out there.
2: Well, that that yeah. mission, that escort mission was not easy, though, from a MiG standpoint. I mean, it was uh, just to reiterate, we were MiGs versus B-29s, six MiGs and you had. did you have four had sabers uh,
1: sabers had two in close actually sorry i had six sabers i had six sabers with two in close escort and four in high cover that couldn't come in uh and once again that that rule has changed a little as well uh between how it reads in the book because it used to be that they couldn't show up until the first boom chit had been awarded uh and then they basically changed it and said no let the high cover come in at the end of turn one uh or after the first turn which is probably a little bit early for a jet cuz I'll get right across the board but it kind of makes sense for uh for a high cover uh with the slower airplanes.
2: It was not easy though. My my recollection of that uh third mission we did is it was everything I could do to get that bomber knocked down and and on turn 6 we were I was one dice away from making from pulling it off but it was super fun but certainly still a big challenge you know when you consider the the escorts and of course we're talking jets so like like doug said they got across the board super fast and knocked me down that kind of thing but uh i put all of my jets right yeah it was fun in fact i keep thinking it's going to make me better at playing uh my 110s specifically i think uh some of the mechanics with that you know losing not being able to climb for advantage has helped me probably a set you know maybe be a little better how I should play my otherwise disadvantaged or I shouldn't say disadvantaged because that has different meanings, right? In this game, but my, my <laughs> uh, not so great BF one tens, <laughs> not so maneuverable.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of it does transfer because uh, you, you learn to start thinking about what you're going to do to regain advantage rather than assuming you're going to regain advantage. Kind of like you do uh, when you're out there with regular single engine fighters and have the ability to, you know, do what you want, not have the jet card counteracting uh, any of your uh, climb for advantage uh, or or any of those other maneuvers. Okay, so let's change over real quick, take a break, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about game setup and about the different, about um the different board setups and the different uh, ways of looking at the game and how that's changed a little bit from what's in the box to what's kind of now the way to to set up the game.
2: Tucker okay. a lot I want to interrupt a little bit because oh, we yeah, talked yeah, a lot no, about fine. twin engine but we were talking really the whole time just about bombers and you know yeah. uh, there, but there's you know there's a big difference between the escort missions and laden bombers and stuff and maybe tactics and stuff for just twin engine fighters.
1: Correct. So uh, let's then jump to that one. Let's talk about agile aircraft, Uh, because once again, there's a couple different cards that'll be out there. So let me reach over to my box. of cards. Uh, Not really,
2: really confusing. The first time we played, you know, it was not intuitive, really. It was like, wait, what? Unless they're agile, they do what? They can't what?
1: (laughs) Well, yeah. And so, so it's, it all depends, I think on whether you're looking at, you know, the, the kind of multi-engine cards you started the game with, uh, or the kind that you get as you start buying more airplanes, uh, like the BF 110, the Mosquito and things like that, because those kind of aircraft, the, the twin engine fighters, uh, will have the agile trait and the agile trait helps nullify some of the, the bad deals of being a twin engine, uh, bomber out there. So, so like, if you go out there and you're looking at a, uh, Dornier 17. um, has all these standard multi-engine traits, but it doesn't have agile. So while it can't be outmaneuvered, it also can't outmaneuver somebody because it right. doesn't have the agile trait. So that's just a that, bullet catcher. Yeah, exactly. Um and you know, the other part about it is if you don't have the agile trait, we as we alluded to talking about the B-29s, uh, you don't get to add your pilot skill. So basically it says if you're a regular multi-engine airplane, not agile, um you just get your maneuver value or your speed value, whatever you're dodging or or making, you know, um, you know, any attempt to, to break that, you know, that uh, firing solution there. So whether it's speed plus pilot skill, maneuver plus pilot skill. Now a lot of the multi-engines have a maneuver of zero until you get to the fighters where you have a maneuver of one. So um, it's, or two sometimes. So it starts uh, kind of ratcheting up there a little bit.
0: You know, and I always, and I'll, I'll talk about the mosquito a little bit. That is such a fast, agile plane, but it doesn't play that way in the game
1: okay. i I, I own a bunch of them. I haven't played them yet. I don't even have them painted yet. Yeah. I'm working on that.
2: <laughs> Doug, do you have p thirty eights or twin Mustangs yet? I know you uh, have hard I, for... got,
1: I got twin Mustangs uh, and I've been working on those. um and and that's that's a whole nother interesting discussion about multi-engine when we come to the twin Mustang. but but uh Mitch what's what's kind of your experience with the mosquito cuz looking at it i mean it's it's multi-engine agile they originally gave it deep pockets they changed that it has and heavy it. hitter
0: right or, right um it, you know i i couldn't find a lot of accounts of the mosquito in air to air combat they just didn't use it for that but you know when you read accounts they always felt that it could hold its own so it, you know you just wonder how it would do, um, dogfighting. It was just so maneuverable. It, the thing is, it could not take a hit.
1: Well, and when you look at the stats, uh, and if we just uh, let me find my Mark IV because I pulled up the Mark II card there. Uh, but uh, there you go. There's my force. Um, so if you look at the Mosquito, uh, sorry, Mark Sixes. If I get my numbers right here, uh, the fighter bomber variant. You know, it's agile. Like I said, heavy hitter and great climb have been added. It's a three two eight airplane, um, so that's a pretty good fighter. And and multi-engine airplanes aren't going to have a whole lot of disadvantages as long as they have agile. Um, right. I mean, it's it's basically going to be able to absorb more boom chits. Um, it's going to you know slowly start losing speed, but once again, it's you're shooting down two airplanes at that sense. So it's it's kind of uh, has to lose some kind of ability. Um, but I don't think other than the fact that a mosquito that is getting tailed can't do anything about it because it's only forward firepower. Well, cause that was how it was designed, right. but it is, it is a three with heavy hitter. <laughs> so that will tend to ruin some people's day. Um, when it, when it acts like a regular fighter.
0: I don't know. I never met a mosquito pilot, but if I had a mosquito and I, there was even a chance of me getting, tailed i i can now climb any plane in world war ii pretty much
1: yeah well exactly and so that's um that's one of the interesting compressions as you know andy's talked about stat compression and ability compression that that's simulated by great climb but great climb doesn't really help you in a bad situation it helps you either preempt one it helps you um you know get get from a really terrible situation to a moderately bad situation but if you're getting tailed it still doesn't get that dude away from you yeah (laughs) so so it's it's one of those interesting um kind of kind of tactics fallouts of compressing the realism of the game which is fine because i personally don't want to be tracking energy levels and climb rates and and all those kind of things um but you just have to realize that the Mosquito has to resort to more conventional tactics in managing its arcs to be able to throw somebody out of, the, um, out of its tail
2: arc. Mm-hmm. How, do we, how do we manage that? Uh, when I had the 110s against the Spitfires, once I got tailed, it was just time until it was dead because there's no way to escape that.
1: So that's an interesting part of the rules that I wanted to bring up because it's not well described. So we kind of house ruled that one and we kind of house ruled it in the favor of the Defender. Uh, Mitch, because if you uh, we were, if you guys have had this situation where you're tailing an aircraft and you're directly behind him, so if he mm-hmm. turns 45 uh, at his next move, the best he can do is put the seam of his two arcs on you as the fighter. And generally, right. there's nothing you can do without burning advantage and doing some kind of turn away, you know, whatever kind of maneuver. Um, so the best he can do is is shift that uh, 45 degrees. What Brett and I house ruled is that whenever you're on a seam of an arc, you take the most disadvantageous arc to you. And I realize that leaves a lot of interpretation, but once again, that means if you're on the seam and you're attacking a bomber and he's shooting at you, then he gets his rear firepower. (laughs) If you are on the seam and you're shooting uh, at the bomber, then all of a sudden it becomes a deflection shot um, rather than being a tailing shot, Uh, because you know once again there was no way to turn 46 degrees to take a guy who was tailing you out of your tail arc. So we, we basically said, all right, if we, if we have managed our aircraft positioning well enough that I can do that, um, that you're exactly on that seam, we're going to consider, you no, no longer tailing. Um,
0: that's the only time where you would, ha- you would be on the seam.
1: Exactly. Because any other the time there's going to be a couple degrees. And so generally you could turn into that aircraft uh, 45 degrees and you're going to throw your arc well off of it. Um, but, but it's that, that one time when he is dead six on you, no matter what you do, you can't get out of there. And, and, uh, you know, I, I I have been that guy that has been unable to shake a bandit. Um, but in this game with as compressed as it is and your inability to do things, once you're disadvantaged, um, it kind of doesn't leave a disadvantaged fighter, any options other than a wingman to come save him from getting shot down.
2: Yeah. That might have been a strategy too. It would be uh, maybe separate those two aircraft a bit more instead of keeping them right together. I think like they were maybe in one game. I'm I'm remembering where uh, they got disadvantaged and were tailed, and it was just they were just turning until the game, you know, until they were shot down. Um, Separate them so that one aircraft could be a wingman potentially to uh, disrupt that tailing situation in the first place.
1: Well, and that goes to why I think a lot of people when they build their initial setup, they don't necessarily think through how they you know how they want to set up and they set everyone up in a line and they don't I, think about changing speeds, changing the angles uh, in order to to quickly get into a position where a wingman is covering you. Now, absolutely. the other thing that that you can't forget though, um that just because you're getting tailed Let's, let's assume he is not advantaged and you are disadvantaged. Let's assume he's only neutral. So he's just slightly better than you. He's neutral. You're disadvantaged. He took a shot at you for whatever reason, managed not to shoot you down. You dodged. But then you get into your next turn. Remember, you can still do a, a pilot action of an outmaneuver. So while it would be instead of you climbing for advantage, if you have an ace who's being tailed by a skill two, you could automatically knock him to disadvantaged. All right. Mm-hmm. So so that adds some possibilities. Now, once again, you're doing that for a pilot action instead of climbing for advantage uh, or or anything like that, shooting. Obviously, you're a disadvantaged, you're not gonna shoot anyone else. But um it there there always is that or the act of desperation of rather than trying to climb up at the end, uh, even if you're lower skilled, just make the guy roll and see if you can outmaneuver him. Uh, and it takes that uh, that tailing away. But at least it keeps you from going for the I've made my my maneuver. I'm going to climb for advantage. You're going to tail me. I'll be back down, disadvantaged. <laughs> All right. You know, it kind of it kind of puts an end to that, at least uh, for a little bit.
0: Hey, I want to bring up one more twin engine point. Sure. And it's something that bothered me with the P thirty eight J card. It's I get it. Let me it, dig it up it my card t- here. <laughs> yeah, I, I went and pulled out my book. I get it had two engines, but why? <laughs> I don't understand why they just couldn't play it as one engine. It it didn't have much of an airframe. You know, it fought really as a single-engine fighter. I just, you know, as much as I would love to put that in the game and, you know, paint the plane like Pudgy or something, because of the multi-engine rules, I'm I'm probably not going to do that unless I find some really great-looking P-38s.
1: Well, I'll I'll be curious because I have not played P-38s specifically uh, as fighters, because I'm looking at how different it is from the 110. Um, You know, I need to play some of these agile twin engines that have no rear turret, because I know there was enough times, even as a 110, when I came in offensive, I needed to be able to shoot things that were behind me. (laughs) So... um, I think it'll be interesting to see uh see how it plays out because once again it should still be fairly capable because it is agile it's got heavy hitter and great dive uh the the real problem becomes once once somebody gets back behind him uh what is it going to do now it, sh- it should be no different than any other fighter he's going to have the same problem where he's going to need to turn away you know burn some advantage if he has it hopefully not get tailed and if he's getting tailed uh he'll get whaled on for a while <laughs> yeah
0: Well, I've seen people with P-38s in the game, so please post your insights and tell us what you think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Let us know, uh, because I've seen at least uh, two sets of painted-up P-38s out there. Uh, So hopefully, uh, hopefully there's some insight there.
0: Yeah, let me tell you something. The community for this game has gone nuts. I have seen just about every aircraft, and it's the same old... Oh, great. You, you have the uh, Italian plane. You know, what's the stats? Did that come out already? <laughs> I mean, I know it's coming out because you shook it out of John.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, the, and the good news is there's uh, there's just so many of those that have that they've done the stats on, but they're still open to uh, to suggestions. So I think uh, I think that's going to be interesting to see how things roll out. And, and even Andy has discussed the fact that he knows there's stats people aren't going to like because of the, the stat line compression. Um, and that that a lot of things are gonna look similar to each other with different top end speeds and slightly different traits um but that's once again part of making this game play faster and be much more streamlined
0: yeah, yeah just playable it's, yeah it's it's playable, absolutely, yeah, I'm looking at the p thirty eight man and it's I don't know. I just think that the multi engine and the confusion how to play it just takes something away from it. Um,
2: I wonder if a card mechanic could for, you know, like an aircraft trait card for some of those. Like I'm thinking about what you said about the Mosquito being such a fantastic, such a fantastic climb rate. seems like great climb by itself is not strong enough to account for that huge difference that that aircraft may have had. Right. So they took off what?
0: They took off deep pockets and they gave a great climb. Is that?
1: Oh, sorry. We're talking about the uh, Mosquito? Yeah uh yeah took but, off uh, gave it great climb and heavy hitter
2: yeah i mean i i don't know that I, I don't it seems like uh great climb is not strong enough to account for that the capability of that aircraft that if you really want it to stand out as being something that could like break out of the furball, just because of its climb rate maybe a card a card that is unique to that like a trait that's maybe unique just to that aircraft something like uh I don't know what you would call it, but, you know, something that accounts for its ability to, you know, bust out a formation, maybe.
0: I don't know. Yeah, not every twin engine plane is the same. And I think that's the problem maybe that they had when designing this is they, they went with the, the two engine DO-17 Blenheim, you know, in the initial box. And then they started adding these twin engine planes. But, you know, if it walks like a duck, treat it like a fighter.
1: And I would yeah, I, I, I think a lot of that is the way it probably should be done, because I, I think you're raising a, a good point that it's just, it's multi-engine for the sake of being multi-engine.
0: Right. Like, well, you put multi-engine in there, and you know, it's, what are they, uh, the words that the community is going to say, hey, I don't know if you knew this, but the P-38 had two engines. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, it's a, it was a very maneuverable fighter. Uh, it held its own. It was good at low altitude, high altitude it let it play like a fighter and I just I think that holds it back. And the same thing for the mosquito. Different variants are gonna have different traits, but you know, it's it's not a bomber. And then you know, look at the case of the J U eighty eight. You have two cards. You have the multi engine bomber and then you have the J U eighty eight C, which is much better and it's a you know, it was used to shoot down bombers. It was a you know it was a night fighter too. But, I mean, it's still not a maneuverable aircraft.
1: Well, you know, I, th- I think when we use the term maneuverable, the, that raises the interesting point of, and I was looking at the Great Climb card, which is what made me think of this, that normally, except when certain cards are played, maneuverability is a defensive advantage in this game. Mm -hmm. It's, that's the only time those, those numbers come up is when, when you have been forced to do something to not be defensive. In other words, someone is trying to outmaneuver you. So they make you add your agility. Someone is shooting at you, you add your agility. Uh, only with great climb is when you're trying to do something offensive, i.e. climbing for advantage. A guy plays great climb on you. And now you have to use your aircraft's maneuver ability to, or your agility to make a maneuver check. So, um, it, it, it's kind of a, a, I I don't want to say it's a gap, but it's a, it's a point that sometimes maneuverability is, is very weighted towards the defensive capability rather than being able to have a highly maneuverable aircraft that either exits the fight as we talked about, or is able to, um, to rapidly take advantage of another airplane. Um, it's, it's only seen as someone having less maneuverability rather than more maneuverability.
0: And you you bring up something that I noticed a long time ago well it's you look at maneuverability and great climb. The other one is tight turn right, but tight turn is scattered all over from maneuverability two aircraft to maneuverability three uh, it's almost like it's not it's not uniform
1: so tight turn is a is a fascinating card because obviously he's starting to play as the the raf uh tight turn was in my uh, hip pocket there all the time for my spitfires uh and the if you don't sit there and play out what tight turn does after multiple uh iterations um you know people may may not appreciate uh how it it kind of balances itself out so uh, for those who haven't played it, obviously a uh, plane makes its normal 45 degree turn at any point in the movement, not just at the end. And where I think a lot of people use it is right at the very beginning. So uh, you play tight turn that allows you to immediately take a 45 degree turn right off the bat, uh, usually to threaten another airplane. Right.
2: Like fast hope, fast roll, better. I think. There's a yeah. card I think that does that well, where that, it's just at the first of the turn. A, I think it's and that's, fast I think roll. It's rapid,
1: that's rapid roll. I think. Rapid, rapid roll. roll. Rapid roll uh, yeah. yep. And so, so. Generally, that's where people try to try to use that card, because occasionally you can move forward and then take the 45 and, and now be in a tailing shot or t- in a tail arc shot, probably not a true tailing shot uh, to point at the guy. Um, but but here's the funny thing. So if you if you play tight turn through 180 degrees of turn, it actually doesn't tighten your turn significantly. It's right. kind of funny. Um so so when you when you move the the four times it takes to to make your hundred eighty degrees a turn, with tight turn, you're now kind of displaced behind, but your radius is only about half an inch to an inch less than normal. Right. So it's not like you gain a significant turn radius advantage, uh, nor do you really get you, you actually get a little bit of a turn rate advantage. So that's that's what's kind of funny, is you make it to to being a beam your aircraft one move earlier but you're still turned away by 45 so it's it's kind of hard to call it a turn rate advantage uh because you're not pointed directly uh back at six o'clock
0: I, I think that card makes the RAF really fun to play but yes not easy to play
1: well i think what it does is it gives you something that's extremely unique forces you not to burn advantage uh and in my opinion, plays well against the 109 and its advantages. Um, and uh, but I have not tried it uh, on any of the other aircraft that I see that have it because I haven't honestly played any of them. Um, but uh, but it'll be interesting to see because uh, I think I was looking at I guess it was P-40s. It was suggested the draft card. I think it has rapid roll on that one instead of tight turn. Um, but there's there's some of the other ones that have that out there. So the P-40 Warhawk? Yep. I think, uh, let me see what the draft card on that one said. I was just looking at that today. Um,
0: And you guys saw that the Japanese box set's coming out, soon.
1: Yes, well, (laughs) more cards for me to buy. Uh, I have one. uh, P40 was great dive and robust. It was not tight turn. Oh, that makes sense. What I looked at, I looked at something today. Oh, it was the, uh, it was uh, great dive and rapid roll on the Spitfire Mark V with the clipped wings. That's where the uh, the rapid roll came in. So,
0: yeah, I'm looking at my cards now. Yep, tight, and turn, of tight the, turn.
1: the zero, uh, the draft A6M card uh, has both tight turn, uh, deep pockets, and vulnerable. So that will be an interesting one to play.
0: I don't think the Japanese are ever going to lose that with the zero. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you design one bad airplane, you screwed for life. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Has to be classified as vulnerable. Yeah.
0: But yeah, I, it's, it's just interesting. It's, you know, just going through some of these things and hearing other people play with them. It's, you know, there's so much more to this game than I think people realize. Maybe well, that's why that's... we play it.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's part of the, the problem is if you if you don't break out of um, the basic aircraft, if you, you know don't quickly go out and try some other things with either multi engines like 110s, uh, Mosquitoes, some of the other aircraft, you, you miss a little bit of that. And also, if you if you kind of keep playing the same scenarios that are in, in the book, I think you get lulled into a false sense of balance. And we mm-hmm. kind of we saw it in a discussion that was had about you know what's the right point values for for Alley and people said was it six hundred points was it seven hundred and fifty? I saw um, that yeah, and, and I think Brett and I kind of our opinion is it's not a points thing playing Alley, because the aircraft I don't think right now at least are equitably pointed uh, because Rough Ride is such a pain in the ass for the MiG-15 player, right, Brett?
2: It is, (laughs) It is. yeah. You have to be prepared for some asymmetry in these missions, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, and so to do that, I I have no problem flying 4v6 with the Sabres. The point values don't support that at all. Um, Looking at the cards doesn't support that. But to me, just seeing how the dice have, have laid down on Rough Ride, um... It's been 50% of the time, you know, he, Brett really needed to get that shot in or have, use that, uh, that pilot, uh, action and it didn't happen. Uh, so I, I think it's, um, I think it's a, a very useful simulation. Um, but what I think it means is people need to think maybe we don't go points value wise. Maybe we try to try to simulate some of the tactics. Uh, and as I've talked about, you know, force, force the MIGs to leave two of their guys in high cover. Mm-hmm. You know, only, only bring four on the table at the beginning, but there's two more MIGs just waiting in the, in the wings there to, uh, to jump in and, uh, and ruin your day. Um, which, which gives you time to, you know, have to make some tactical decisions about how you're going to, how, how is the MIG player? Are you going to burn your advantage? Are you really going to try to tie it up? Or are you going to flow through, let high cover drop in on turn two uh, and try to ruin the rest of the fighter's day?
2: Yeah. I like what you said about playing, you know, not only different aircraft, but, you know, maybe uh, missions with multiple squadrons or at least multiple elements that are coming in at different times with multiple deployment options. You know, you got got an element that's coming in at high cover at a later point in the game. I you mean, know, I think those are all elements that uh, you know, factors of the games that made them a lot more exciting and fun for us when we were really playing for like two days straight.
1: Well, and I think they are. And so that really leads me into kind of my my first big tactics point to people is. Most of the players out there, I get a feeling, think of the board edge. And I know we kind of were this way in our first you know, five games or so. They think about the board edge as a hard wall. They don't think about how they can exploit the board edge or what happens when they cross the board edge because it varies with scenario. And and quite frankly, if you're playing a pickup game with your buddy, um, I think it's something you, you really ought to make sure that you're clear on uh, because there's times that it can be great advantage and there can times it's a line of death uh as uh brett saw in in the escort battle um as the attacking fighters you don't want to fly off the board it's (laughs) it's going to make your life difficult because you know in that mission leaving the battle area um you have to basically pass a uh uh, a maneuver check to re-enter the following turn so it means you know, there's an opportunity that you might not come back. And then if you do come back, uh, you know, you, you at least come back in from that board edge. But not every game plays that way. Because when yeah. you take a look, when you go look at like bounced, leaving the game, uh, leaving the table area, it's permanent uh, done, for that yep. one. Yeah, you're, you're done. You fly off the board. It's over. Uh, looking at fighter sweep, it's different. You come back in high cover. So to me, that's a that's a great advantage. Uh, on that one is that that allows you to intentionally say, "I want to get out of this fight. I'm going to remove myself, climb up to high cover, and then I can come back in at a time that is appropriate to me." Because high cover doesn't have to come back in immediately. You can hang out up there for two turns, three turns, whatever. You know, floats your boat. Um, I, I think those that tactical nuance gets lost on a lot of people because they just go, "Well, they don't care about leaving the board edge till they're forced to leave the board edge by a maneuver." And they look over at the rules and go, well, "What do I do now?" <laughs> that that should be in your game plan from the beginning. <laughs> I'm, I'm
0: trying to see if that if if the board edge was talked about at all in the Q and I don't know.
1: I did not see any comments about yeah, it. So so I didn't there. see any clarification. And uh, to be honest, as we've started drafting some of our uh, homebrew scenarios, I'm being very specific about which of the scenario board edge rules I, I use. Um different each of them, mission, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, some of them are purposefully. You know, some of them, like in the uh in the checkerboards mission, uh where you're flying, you know, F four Us trying to dodge MiG 15s, uh, it's permanent removal. You fly off the board edge, that's good for you as an F4 player. That's bad for you as a MiG-15 player. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things of manage your energy, manage your maneuver. Um, because when you're gone, you're gone. C- kind of like how the bounce scenario went. And then, you know, likewise, there's a couple of them where uh, it's a thoroughly asymmetric answer, where if you're the F-51s and you leave the board, you know, you're out of the game. But if you're the MIG, you leave the board, hey, come back to high cover, find another set of uh, F-51s to beat up on and and drop in uh, from high cover at your at your next opportunity. So uh, I th- I think if people pay a little more attention to that, It will create some better starting decisions, and and they'll, they won't be afraid of playing towards the board edge because they will have taken into account, you know, whether leaving is is good for them, whether it's a risk, uh, or do they just does everybody kind of drive to the center of the board and and uh, and fight it out there?
0: Well, it goes to how you set up and and it it just the the type of players you have. So here's a question because you know I know you wanted to talk about setup. Have you guys? Only played one V one as far as players. Have We've played two V two
1: is is the only other way we don't one V one and two V two. Um and, and it's been it's been interesting some tweaks that we found based on that. Yeah,
0: I noticed that too with the with the two V twos, because it's the best way to demo a game with a lot of people. Right. Um, but it's how you start and how you set up and talking tactics with your partner is so important. Uh, as far as covering high cover I, i just i find it very interesting and the other thing is i can get more people to sit down and play the game and pick it up
1: right well you know brett we played a number of 2v2s what did you see for for not just tactics but kind of keeping the game going and not getting bogged down what what were some of the things that that we've kind of had to keep in people's minds
2: well, in we some of those 2v2s, it was their first game. So, you know, we had the cheat sheet out for just the sequence of pilot action and everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was, that <laughs> that's was what I always remember. So, there, there was a lot of when you, when you double the number of players, you double the number of opportunities to accidentally move out of order because, because somebody's in the middle of an engagement, they moved their advantage four and the neutral four right next to them. You're like, I want to move that guy. Nope. Not his turn. It's the advantage oh, yeah. three across the board.
2: <laughs> I think we kind of separated the table too, so that even though we were two v two, it well, I think was the sep- games ended up, going on.
1: ended up separating themselves that way because because we didn't we didn't deploy that far apart. Um, but it was obvious that everybody was kind of on slightly different game plans. Uh, and then in the last game that we played, um, I, I was totally in high cover because I remember on that one, I think it was you were playing. Um, the 109s, I seem to remember. Uh, and I know we had, uh, we had a couple other aircraft out there. And, and, you know, my whole game was spend three turns moving up and down the board edge uh, until somebody made the mistake of turning tail on within six inches. Uh, and then I dove out of high cover and proceeded to punish them for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm
0: still looking through the cards here to, about the thing we were just talking about.
1: Well, and and so we'll we'll talk real quick about the high cover mechanic that um, I think sometimes people go, well, why does high cover move up and down the board? And, and why would you do that? Um, to me, it is it is that it is as much of a wingman as your wingman on the board. Now, he's not going to stop you from being tailed. But what's going to happen is if you find yourself out there uh, where the rest of the fight is starting to mass on you, just kind of draw everything over to where your high cover is. and I know it worked out well for uh, for Brett and I uh, in that uh, the guys that were chasing down the me109s kind of drifted over there, turned tail onto my marker, um, not being uh, you know really cognizant of what was going to happen, and you know some me 110s uh, popped out of high cover. But the the fact is even if if I hadn't maneuvered them on the board, they should have honored that marker. They should have said, well, I may not want to chase this 109 because that's going to make me turn tail on. Let me you know, take a 45 degree turn the other way and at least uh, not give the high cover a chance to come on the board and, and uh, take a tail on shot. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about initial setups. One of the things I want to talk about, along with using the board edge, is setups. And and Mitch, I know you'd you'd brought up some points to that. So there's a few things that have changed in that the the distances for setup uh, normally is 18 inches, and then there's now a little bit of a discussion in the um, in at least the Balmer scenario of moving that out to 21. And some people have also said, hey, with jets. Uh, is no closer than 18 inches still a valid way to set up? So, well, I don't know been, what you've seen with 18 inches. I've been
0: playing the jets on much bigger, so I have a, a four by four naval mat, right? And I've been playing it on those or even bigger. And it's just so you get the feel of those fast maneuverable jets. And you know, it, it's painful to watch players merge because that's what they do. They just go head on it, just to watch the maneuver on the bigger table with more experienced players. I kind of like it. So I've especially playing with the jets, I've been house ruling and playing with bigger tables.
1: Right. We've been playing it on four by four and it, it hasn't been terrible. We played it a couple of times on four by six just to, to try some lengthwise uh setups. And I, I'll be honest, even with the, you know, Higher speeds. Sometimes it was painful on a four by six table if you were playing long ways. You know, you felt yeah, like takes, feel, takes felt like it taking a while to get to the merge. Uh, so, so we did that once. We're like, ah, it's, that's not really what we were looking for. We went back to four by four. Um, but what we realized was that it worked out fine if you managed your speed. And so, I think this is something that people don't necessarily do uh, either in the propeller era or in the jet era. They, they really, and I'll jokingly say, they warhammer it. They point right at the other dude, they mm-hmm. charge into close combat range and then try to get into a turning dog. Uh, and the, the problem with that is when you do that with an 18-inch setup, even with a propeller airplane, you're inside of a gunshot when both sides move to their, uh, to their, their first maximum move. Mm-hmm. So you've kind of def- taken away your opportunity to make any any wingman maneuvers, any kind of setup. Uh, and and as a result, you get in this very interesting head-on argument that people have of, well, how do I take a head-on shot? Because probably everybody's climbed up and is um, is advantaged. Or the one guy says, well, I start off disadvantaged. The other guy was 18 inches in front of me and advantaged. There's nothing I can do, quote unquote, which is where I tell them, slow down the intercept. Don't go seven go your half speed. So go four in this case, take a turn away and they go, well, well, why would I want to turn away? Cause I'm just now, you know, I, I can't shoot him back on a head on shot. And I go, well, that's fine. You're also minimizing your chance of, of taking, uh, of losing any advantage. Cause now you have a deflection shot that he's taking. Uh, so sure. You can't shoot back, but you probably couldn't, uh, He, you know, you didn't have good odds to do, uh, do damage to him. And then as you think about it, if if one aircraft can turn away uh, and the other aircraft can fly different speeds, now you're setting up that wingman opportunity. So if you make a turn away and in the second turn somebody moves seven, somebody moves four, now there's a three-inch gap. You're, you're building that wingman uh, cover to uh, to prevent somebody f- from tailing you. And so I think 18 is a good number. I tell you, I like 21. Uh, my board probably isn't big enough. That The problem is, as we go to 21, it starts pushing you out to that edge of the four-inch board, or meaning whoever gets set up in the center of the board doesn't have a whole lot of, of maneuvering group. They, yeah. they really can't spread out their forces. Well,
0: I, I don't know. It, it's just from watching players and novice players set up. You know, you have to hold your tongue saying, you know I don't know if I would do that. Um, but I noticed this. Players play it the second and third time. They start setting up better. They think about the wingman effect, quite right? A bit. And the other one I noticed too is they don't take front end shots.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly.
0: I mean, so, it's that that bloodlust. They lose it because it's it's never a really good proposition.
1: It it really isn't, and that's that's what we want. Now, um, the the fact of the matter is, sure, real world there were a lot of opportunities for head-on gunshots and if somebody's going to make a close-board pass with you make it painful for them and take a shot but the fact of the matter is when we look at it purely in game mechanics initiating that head-on shot is not always worth it for you because there are fairly good odds you'll take a boom shit if it's not a low skill pilot um right. or or the dice aren't against him if he's a if he's a 3 or a 2 um with anything over firepower 1 um, the odds or sorry, three or two with anything firepower one, um, the odds are probably not in his favor. But as soon as you start putting a head-on shot against a you know, a skill four, skill five, firepower two, or firepower three, uh, you're taking a boom chit. And you could be taking a critical hit and losing an advantage level. So <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like, I, what I, you rage. wish for.
0: <laughs> but I mean, look, you line up any two gamers face to face, they want to take the shot.
1: They do. But but once again, that's that's where, at least for me, I try to shoehorn the real world experience in with how the game works. And that's why. And and Brett probably got tired of seeing me do it every single time uh, that he would charge at me with his BF-109s. And I just take a slight turn away. Brett's like, what are you doing? But the difference was, sure, he might have a quick deflection shot. But as soon as he tried to get in and tail somebody, there's at least two other fighters in there blocking uh, blocking whatever he can do. So
2: he always had a wingman in good position. yep.
1: Yeah. And and you only get that by taking some kind of spacing maneuver. So that means guys flying at different speeds, different angles, uh, to to just build that separation. And part of that as well um, is is one of the subjects I'll kind of kind of preach to. So if you don't own a book, a copy of the book Fighter Combat, uh, go out there and buy it. <laughs> and then you'll go, Doug. What does this book have to do with the game? It doesn't tell me how to win the game. Well, no kidding. Uh, remember, I said the game is an approximation, but You learn to start thinking about things like exclusive-use turning room. And you know Mitch and I remember that from our dogfighting days where we'd think about (laughs) uh, all those painful setups where one guy comes to the merge down on the deck and the other guy can't turn any further down because otherwise he hits the ground. Well, you run into the same situation with, once again, the board edge, kind of like we talked about why you need to understand your board edge. Um, There's some times in there that if you, in your initial setup choose to kind of lean over to one of those board edges rather than putting it at your six o'clock and running straight in um that that gives you an ability to keep turning when your opponent can't because if he moves his full movement he'll run off the board and i know uh brett about lost his mind when i did that to him um in one of the uh the the mig uh, versus f86 games because it's really frustrating because you're you're looking at this fighter that you want to get in there and tail and you go. I can't even make my minimum maneuver or minimum move without going off the board. So I'm going to burn advantage not to fly off the board. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And it's Yeah. And so I I know I'm sorry that I put you, pained you in that corner a couple of times, Brett, but that that is another one of those points of understanding concepts like exclusive use turning room was what it meant was you had to burn advantage and I could just make a 45 degree turn. And now we're, we're both pointed away from the board edge, but you are now at a lower advantage state and you're within nine inches of me. So you can't climb. Uh, as, a, as a jet v jet uh, kind of situation. So I, I think people can think about that as a, a little bit more um, advanced tactic out there uh, for, for working the setup and working their maneuvers. Don't always feel like you got to fly right at the, at the center of the board.
0: You know, and I hate to say this because I'm going to be dogging a lot of other games that, of course, we all play. It's the only game where I can actually point to using real tactics you know real fighter tactics actually work in a game
1: yeah yeah and and the nice thing is it works and it's not a energy climb rate afterburner position tracking game uh and i, I hate to pick on the guys for check your six cuz i th- i think it's a a cool game but it's it's not uh even that middle level of detail much less something like air war or some some of the other ones that really were to that level were everybody had a data card that was an eight and a half by 11 sheet just for that airplane. <laughs> all right. Well, awesome guys. Thanks for taking the time tonight. Um, I know we've kind of been all over the page. Uh, so we'll see how this one gets turned into a podcast and maybe turned into uh, separate little vignettes uh, to be woven in there. Um, but uh, there certainly is a lot of tactical depth as we've talked about. There's a lot of things you need to consider. So if you're a Blood Red Skies player out there and your game seems strangely like Warhammer 40k, but with airplanes, uh, (laughs) take some time, uh, push the planes around the table by yourself, see how they maneuver, uh, and try something different in your next game. You know, take a turn away from the fight, uh, turn closer to the board edge, um, maybe uh, intentionally fly something other than your max airspeed straight at the enemy. uh, And uh, see if it gives you some ideas on how you can show up to that, uh, that next engagement at a position of advantage uh, denying them the head-on shots, and then uh, using that to be able to be something that you can exploit to be a follow-on advantage. Yeah,
0: and I'll, I'll throw one last thing in there. It's, hey community, show us what the meta is for this game, because I haven't figured it out yet.
1: <laughs> I I will laugh when when you say that and go, and then we're gonna have to ask the question about all the competitive players.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i want
1: to players ruining it yeah no i i agree uh and i don't think anyone really knows what it is hopefully it's not uh defiance uh a, a, a squadron full of defiance uh flying across the board trying to ruin things for you
0: <laughs> no i think it's going be twin-engine uh, twin-engine players
1: yeah it might might very well yeah all right guys well thanks a bunch i really appreciate it
0: yeah. good to talk with you mitch And thank you guys for inviting me again. I will speak to you guys soon.
1: Absolutely.